Only a month ago, the Seahawks were sitting in first place in the NFC West. Now, their playoff hopes are dangling by a thread after a 30-24 loss to the Panthers on Sunday. Where do the Seahawks stand in the playoff standings with four games left to play and a crucial game against the 49ers coming up on Thursday night? Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it all down in a Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for the Locked On Seahawks. Glad to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, for our Monday episode. Special thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week, even after an ugly loss like yesterday's. We greatly appreciate it. Speaking of that loss, yeah, unfortunately, we've got to talk about it today. We'll have our Monday musings looking back at what went wrong for the Seahawks in an upset defeat to the Carolina Panthers at Lumen Field. Their third loss already this season at home. Not a good omen with three home games left in the final four games in the regular season. And we're going to play a little bit of a game here on Monday, looking at Seattle's two fatal flaws. Who's to blame more, the coaching staff or the players and personnel? Should be some fun discussions and debate coming up on today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Price Picks. Price Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players if they score more or less than their Price Picks projection. You can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. Now for your lead story here on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Just a month ago, the Seahawks were 6-3. and three. They were sitting in first place by themselves in the NFC West, and they suddenly looked like a dark horse Super Bowl contender in the wide-open NFC. But here we are four weeks later, and those good vibes have dissipated faster than ice cream sitting on asphalt in the middle of the summer in Arizona. Seattle now 7-6 and six after a 30-24 loss to the Panthers at Lumen Field. They've lost three of their last four games, and the way they are losing, Rob, that is really what's most disappointing. It's the same formula. Week in, week out, they can't stop the run. They can't run the football. The entire world is sitting on Geno Smith's shoulders to try to win football games, and if he's not near perfect, they have a really difficult time doing it because of all the other issues they are dealing with right now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just a recipe for disaster. I mean, if you can't stop the run, you can't run the football and you wind up having three turnovers, there's just not a lot of football games that you're going to win. It doesn't matter how loud that the crowd is at Lumen Field. And and, and they were certainly loud enough. But from the get-go, Carolina just jumped on Seattle and never got off. Uh, you know, they, they of course, the Panthers basically led, uh, you know, from the outset of the game. And, and Seattle never was in a position to be able to dictate the action the way that a team should be able to do when they are, frankly, the more gifted team, at least in terms of just flat personnel, obviously had the better record. And again, we're at home with everything to play for uh, divisional title on the line. And now, as you said, Corbin, Seattle's playoff opportunities are basically dripping away. Yeah, looking at those numbers right now, our friends over at 538, the Seahawks playoff odds with this loss to the Panthers dropped to 55%. That's still decent. There's still a chance for them to make the postseason, but 
They're now in the eighth seed in the conference. The Giants and Commanders are both in front of them. Those would be the final two wild cards if the playoffs starts today. And, oh, by the way, the Detroit Lions are as hot as any team in football, and they're one game back behind them. The Seahawks, luckily, have the tiebreaker beating them earlier in the season. But if they end up with a worse record, it's not going to matter. The Lions have an easier schedule over the last four games than what the Seahawks do, though Seattle does benefit playing from uh, playing most of those games at home. And as for their NFC West title odds, they plunge to 8%. The 49ers can clinch the division on Thursday night if they win at Lumen Field. And really, Rob, the Seahawks are going to need to be near perfect down the stretch and hope that the 49ers falter to have any chance to win the NFC West. As I just mentioned, it's 8%. It's that low for a reason because the 49ers need to lose three out of their final four, including to the Seahawks on Thursday. And the Seahawks would need to win at least three of their final four games. And remember, they got a road game against the Chiefs. The Jets are not an easy team to play. And the Rams now have Baker Mayfield and could have several of their other injured players back for that season finale at Lumen Field as well. So suddenly a schedule that we thought was looking fairly favorable because all the home games isn't looking so favorable now after choking against the Panthers. They've lost two games to teams at at least three games under 500 at home in a row. You just can't do that and expect to make the postseason. No, you certainly can't. And I think that when we start, first started looking at Seattle's schedule at the beginning of the season, I think that we we viewed the NFC South as a division that Seattle might be able to bully. Uh, and instead, the opposite has been the case. Seattle now 0-4 against the NFC South, Tampa Bay, New Orleans, uh, Atlanta, and now the Carolina Panthers, all four losses. And in all four of them, they felt like they were – games that Seattle could have won and, and that's what makes it that much more difficult I mean it, it is the, the the most difficult type of a loss it is a gun punch of, of a loss when it's very obvious what the opposing team is trying to do just run the football right down your throat and that's exactly what Carolina and basically everybody else has been able to do for the past month and a half now and I think that's the most worrisome thing looking at this schedule coming up for the Seahawks we know that the 49ers love to run the football, and they are as good as anybody at doing it. Now, they're probably not going to have Debo Samuel, Samuel for this game on Thursday night. He might be done for the season. We don't know his injury situation. That was a gruesome-looking injury that he suffered in their blowout win over the Buccaneers this weekend. But still, Kyle Shanahan is one of those coaches that can pull a water boy off the sideline and find a way to run for 100 yards. Just has a great offense. They scheme up their run game so well. And then the Seahawks have to play Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs and that electric offense. They don't run the ball a ton, but they can throw it all over the yard. And they probably will try to run the ball because how bad the Seahawks defense has been at stopping it. And that's at Arrowhead Stadium, a really tough place to win. Then you got the Jets and Rams to close out the season. The Rams already proved they could run the ball in the Seahawks. They did it two weeks ago. The Jets, even without Brees Hall, have a couple of solid running backs. They should be able to run the football as well. So this is now looking like a schedule that isn't so favorable to the Seahawks. And really, honestly, Rob, right now, it feels like anybody can run on this defense. They can't stop anyone. They haven't shown they can. And as you mentioned, it is the most frustrating situation when you know what the other team is trying to do and you cannot stop it. And that's what happened in the second half yesterday in that football game. And it is demoralizing to a team's psyche. And so can the Seahawks overcome that and rebound quickly with the 49ers coming to town on Thursday? That is really the million-dollar question going into this primetime game. And 
you know, logic will tell you the Seahawks are going to get blown out in this game because they haven't been able to stop the run, and the 49ers have been dominant the last four or five games running the football. But the NFL is weird, and week-to-week things change up a lot. So hopefully in a five-day span, the Seahawks will find some type of a cure to their woes and get that run defense fixed. Speaking of their run defense, with the Seahawks riding on a three-loss in the last four-game streak, not the kind of run that we're looking for heading into the final quarter of the season. We're going to play a little bit of coaching versus personnel, looking at Seattle's two fatal flaws, running the football and stopping the run. Who's to blame the most, the coaching staff or the players on the field themselves, the personnel that's been put in place? Rob and I are going to discuss and debate coming up in a few minutes here on our Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is releasing a slate of new football podcasts we're sure you're going to love. That's why you'll be able to find a sneak peek of Think Like a Champion available right now as a bonus episode on Locked On Presents. Think Like a Champion is a brand new podcast featuring Russell Wilson from Audible. Russ is a champion on the field, as Seahawks fans know very well, but off of it, we rarely know the grind to the path to to greatness. Russell Wilson, alongside co-host Harry Wilson, digs into high-performance athletes, artists, and leaders that push the boundaries of their potential. Here, two-time Super Bowl champion and MVP Von Miller delivers sharp insights about performing at your highest level in moments of extreme pressure. Or how about NCAA champion Tim Tebow discussing how to find your unique personal mission in the world. Each episode features interviews with Olympic medalists, NFL stars, and business leaders. Hosts will swap stories and share proven mental techniques that have gotten the world's most elite performers across the finish line and beyond. It's available for free on Audible or wherever you get your podcasts. So head over to Locked On Presents for a sneak preview of Think Like a Champion or catch the full series available anywhere you get your podcast. Audible, get in the game. Turo is the world's largest car sharing marketplace. With Turo, you can book any car you want, wherever you want it, from a community of local hosts. Browse a huge selection of vehicles for just about any occasion or budget across the U.S., Canada, the U.K., and soon in Australia. Book a spacious SUV or minivan for a family road trip. Get a classic or luxury car for a special event, birthday, or holiday. Find affordable economy cars if you're on a budget and just need to get from A to B. Test drive that new electric vehicle you've had your eyes on to see how it fits in your everyday life. Many Turo hosts can even deliver the car right to you. Every trip is backed by liability insurance. Terms and conditions apply. Ditch boring rental cars and find your drive at Turo.com. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're in Montana, if you're in Indiana, Canada, wherever you're listening from, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And for your second listen, make sure to check out Locked on Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, it's available in the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Rob, typically we reserve this middle segment on Monday for answering fan questions, but unfortunately the mailbag is going to go by the wayside this week because just like the players, we have an abbreviated schedule with a game coming up on Thursday against the 49ers in prime time. So we are going to switch things up a little bit and to go with our Monday musings menu. It's time for a little bit of discussion and debate because the Seahawks clearly with three losses in their last four games, they've had two major fatal flaws that have emerged that looked to have put their playoff hopes on the brink. We saw it on display yesterday. They couldn't run the ball and they certainly couldn't stop the Panthers from running the ball down their throats. So we're going to play a little bit of coaching versus personnel. Who's to blame for these two fatal flaws that 
appear to be sinking the Seahawks' once promising season. Rob, let's start with the most pressing fatal flaw, the one that every team seems to be taking advantage of up to this point. And that is the Seahawks' Swiss cheese porous run defense. They are giving up 209.5 yards rushing per game in the last four games. Pretty hard to win football games when you're giving up that many rushing yards. So I pose the question to you. After watching these last four games, seeing how the season started when teams were running all over the Seahawks as well, do you view this as a personnel issue or a coaching issue for the Seahawks? Well, the easy answer to that, Corbin, is, is both. Uh, you know, that obviously this is not a 100% versus 0% type of a situation, but I do strongly feel that the biggest area of concern is just the personnel. Uh, you know, I, I see a bunch of defensive linemen, frankly, that are better suited to more of a 4-3 penetrating uh, type of a scheme rather than holding up at the point of attack, reading and reacting. I see a linebacker core that, again, is a little bit better in terms of straight line speed, lateral agility than holding up at the point of attack. I see some safeties who are at their best, uh, you know, tracking the football or trying to make plays in pursuit rather than breaking down in the middle of the of, of the open field and making sure reliable tackles. Uh, and, and so that all translates into a defense that is giving up rushing yardage just, you know, in incredible fashion. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, over the last month or so, Seattle's run defense is the worst in the NFL, but all the way to the beginning of the season, I mean, I think Seattle ranks either 30th or 31st in the NFL in terms of run defense. So this has not just been a month-long issue. It's not been something that, that some of the other uh, so others out there have suggested that Seattle was playing pretty well, and then, you know, something broke along the way. No, they were just creating so darn many turnovers Turnovers that it was kind of hiding, uh, you know, the, the ugly reality that Seattle simply cannot play run defense. And again, I think that there are some issues with coaching and schematics, but I think the biggest thing here is that Seattle just does not have the personnel to be able to hold up to opposing running games. You could certainly make a lot of arguments for personnel. I would agree with you with the interior defensive line. They need an alpha dog at one of those three tech positions. They need to use that high draft pick they're going to be getting for the Denver Broncos to hopefully bring in somebody that can wreak havoc. I'm not saying go get another Aaron Donald because there's only one Aaron Donald, but get yourself that alpha dog that dominates games from the interior because you need that kind of a player to be able to run a 3-4 defense and run it successfully, particularly when you're defending the run. And right now, no offense to the guys there, they got a lot of players that can play the nose tackle position in this system. But their three-tech options, Shelby Harris is probably their most consistent. They didn't have him yesterday. But, you know, this is a line that, quite frankly, has been very underwhelming. And they, they were a group that I had high expectations for going into the year. But there's just been issues with scheme fit. That being said, I'm actually going to go the opposite direction here. And I'm going to point to the coaching staff. And here's my main argument. Yes, you can look at the defensive line. You can look at the absence of Jamal Adams. And I still think that that's a big deal because of the scheme they were running. A lot of that had to do with trying to accentuate his unique strengths. And we only got to see one quarter of him playing in this defense. With that being said, I think the thing that bothers me the most from a coaching standpoint here, yeah, you can point to the personnel. This is not a 100% versus 0% thing, as you said. There's certainly a personnel issues. But I just want to look at the beginning of the game the last two weeks. 
They let the Rams march right down the field. The Rams with John Wolford playing quarterback and a bunch of other injuries. None of their top receivers there. Marched right down the field and scored a touchdown to open the game. And in this game against Carolina, they give up a bunch of easy first down conversions, a long 13-play drive. And I know it was only a field goal that made it 3-0 early, but it doesn't matter. They let the Panthers, a punchless offense up to this point, march right down the field on them, have a methodical possession and that's been an issue consistently this year. Even in some of their wins, they've allowed the opponent to go down and score quickly. The Cardinals had a touchdown their last matchup on their first possession. And so it just doesn't seem like this team is ever ready to play. And then Clint Hurt and his staff have to scramble to make adjustments. And they've done a decent job of that last week against the Rams. They gave up one touchdown the last eight possessions, but they barely won that football game. And in this game against Carolina, they were on the field so darn much because of the early struggles that by the fourth quarter, everything just snowballed on him. And that has been a chronic problem for this football team. So I'm pointing this at Pete Carroll. I'm pointing this at Clint Hurt, first year defensive coordinator. Like you've got to have better game plans ready to go in the beginning of the game. It's like an offensive coordinator that struggles with his opening preset plays and then figures things out on the fly adapting. That has been Clint Hurt. And he has really struggled to have a game plan that is ready to go at the beginning that his players can execute that is effective aside from that four game winning streak. And so I am going to point the finger at the coaching staff a little bit more on this one. I feel like they can get more out of the players they have. They certainly have some positions they need to upgrade. That'll be better fits for this scheme if they want to stick with the scheme they're in. But I think the coaching staff has got some major looking in the mirror things to do right now going into the final four games of the season. Now let's go to the run game on the other side. And this is a discussion we've had a few times the last couple of weeks, because this is not a new problem either. The Seahawks have not had a running back go over 37 rushing yards in a game since November 6th, Rob. This is a chronic issue. They can't run the football. So I'm going to pose the question to you here. Is this coaching or personnel, in your opinion, that's really impacting the run game and making it punchless, making this a one-dimensional offense? Well, I, again, I, I think it's more personnel. And really quickly, while we're going to, if we're going to be critical of coaches, and I think that it's important to be specific. Um, you, you mentioned um, the defensive coordinator Clint Hurt. I, I think that Seattle's defense, who was a former defensive line coach, I think that uh, you know Seattle's current defensive line coaches, Damian Lewis, Aaron Curry, Will Tukuafu, they just need to, to you know be able to get more out of Seattle's personnel. And I love. That you mentioned quickly again on the defensive line, Shelby Harris being out. I think Shelby Harris being out, Al Woods going down early in that game. I think that was absolutely critical to Seattle's even their chances of being able to stop Carolina. I think that that game would have just continued to have the Carolina Panthers run the ball uh, as, as much and as easily as they want to. The fact that they switched running backs three different times and all of them were effective, um, again, to me, is kind of the, the big point here with running the ball or, or stopping the run, excuse me. When it goes to running the football, we I think that we knew that this was going to be an issue because, again, you have the two rookie offensive tackles that were coming from air raid offenses. I, I've yep. been very impressed by what we've seen from Charles Cross um, and from Abraham Lucas. At the same time, I think the guard play has been 
questionable. I thought that Damian Lewis actually had a pretty solid game uh, yesterday against Carolina. But we talked about this before. The center position, Austin Blythe, every time that Carolina put in a defensive tackle and played him man up, they were able to shed Austin Blythe in the hole because he's just not a big physical man. So I, I think that, that, again, that's a personnel issue. Center has been a position I have pounded the table on that I thought that Seattle really needed to address for an awful long time now. And I think that what we're seeing here is a real confusing kind of mix of athletic ability. Austin Blythe is a good athlete. Athlete, but at the same time, he's not much of a push the pile type of a guy. And I think that's what Seattle wants to be. So you're asking some offensive tackles who maybe are good athletes, but aren't necessarily the push the pile types to, to try to adjust on the fly as rookies. You're asking a veteran who is what he is in Austin Blythe. You got a guy in Gabe Jackson who's a little bit, you know, kind of long in the tooth at this point. Um, Phil Haynes continues to impress me with his power when he keeps his butt down and his shoulders leveled down, uh, his pad level down, excuse me. Um, and then again, Damian Lewis, I thought had a nice game against Carolina, but other than that, it, that that's the reason why Seattle has been unable to create any type of consistent push. I'll talk about this a little bit later. I don't care who Seattle has at running back. If they're not able to create any kind of push, then they're not going to be able to run the ball. Yeah. This is all a personnel issue. In my opinion, I think Andy Dickerson is a very good offensive line coach from what I've seen on the practice field, what we saw early in the season, getting the most out of this group. But for me, the big personnel issue, you mentioned it doesn't matter who's in the backfield. That is true. With the way this line is blocking, I would agree with you 110%. Austin Blythe, he looks overmatched every single game recently. And teams are figuring it out. They know it on film. Let's put a big, powerful defensive tackle across from him, and he is not going to be able to win that battle very often in the trenches with the run game. I think right guard is still a position that they don't have their long-term starter there unless they give Phil Haynes the reins here for the last four games and just let him go because Gabe Jackson is not that long-term guy. It's evident to me. And he had a solid game a week ago, but – he is just not the player that he was two or three years ago, and he's now past 30. He's got bad knees. I just don't see a long-term option at that position or at center. Your tackles are going to get better as run blockers, but that was not their strength coming into the NFL. And it seems like Lucas and Cross kind of rebounded a little bit this week overall, played better, and yet the run blocking, it just hasn't been there for those two. I think the running back position, though, this team is really missing Rashad Penny, and I know that Ken Walker III has been fantastic. He has been dynamic, but I think the thing that Rashad Penny brought this offense, or at least he had brought this offense once he got his confidence back late last season, I think his vision and his blend of acceleration and patience, he became a much more patient runner than what he was early in his career. He wasn't bouncing the ball outside as much. Those improvements with his home run hitting ability and his size, that's something Ken Walker III does not have. He's around 210 pounds. Rashad Penny's 235. That is a big difference for a guy that, quite frankly, is not that much slower than Ken Walker III. I think the Seahawks have badly missed him. As great as Walker has been, Rashad Penny's got a unique skill set of his own. There are not many 235-pound backs that can hit home runs like that. And then having Walker banged up this week, 
to go with the O-line issues. This is the same line that Rashad Penny was ripping off a bunch of big games before he got hurt. So I do think that that is worth noting. Yeah, the Seahawks have some solid running backs there. They, if the line's blocking well, can get the job done. But they don't have that home run hitter with Walker being out and without Rashad Penny, who was probably the best home run hitter in terms of efficiency in the NFL when he's healthy. Uh, to me, that has been significant. So I'm going to go personnel, but maybe leaning a little bit more towards the backfield than what you are. Well, I think that's an excellent point because I would agree. Similar to the way that Seattle's issues in run defense, I think were masked a little bit by just the number of turnovers that they were able to create. I think Rashad Penny and to a lesser extent, Kenneth Walker III's ability to create those home run type of plays, again, has masked Seattle's inability to create any type of consistent push along the line of scrimmage. And, you know, I, I've kind of bemoaned the fact that Seattle doesn't use their tight ends enough. I, I wish that Seattle used a traditional fullback a little bit more. Um, I think that that could help out in a significant way in, in exactly this type of an issue. So again, I, I agree with you as far as the running back, uh, the lack of a home run hitter at the running back position is hurting Seattle's offensive line a little bit. But you know, I just think back a couple of months ago when we were just so excited about all the different pancake blocks, for example, that Abraham Lucas was providing. When was the last time you saw, you know, a pancake block from one of Seattle's offensive line? I mean, I mean at times when they get a double team and they get a defensive lineman turn the other way and then you get a kind of a cheap one. But otherwise, you, you watch how many times Seattle's defensive linemen and linebackers are completely obliterated from a play and the exact opposite happening when Seattle is trying to rush the football. To me, again, it, it's all about the Jimmys and Joes rather than the X's and O's, and I just do not see Seattle's Seattle playing nearly as physical at the line of scrimmage as they need to be if they want to be competing for a playoff spot. Yep, and that's really the – tale of the story on both sides of the football. They're not physical enough. They're getting bullied. They're getting out muscled. And it's been going on for the better part of a month on both sides of the trenches. Coming up next, we've got our weekly Monday musings. This will be our last takeaways for the week with this being an abbreviated week. And really, quite frankly, that's a good thing considering how ugly that loss was to the Panthers yesterday. But we're going to be diving into some instant takeaways after rewatching the game on offense defense, and special teams. We'll get to those here in a moment on our Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Prize Picks. It's week 14 of the 2022 season, and I had Kyler Murray having a big game tonight. Unfortunately, I'm going to get burned with him getting hurt on the third play of Monday Night Football, so that didn't work out so well. But with Prize Picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries to the test. Pick two to five players if they score more or less than their prize picks projection. You can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And prize picks offers projections in any sport you watch, whether that's the NFL, NBA, MLB, even NASCAR. You can do it. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy with safe and fast withdrawals. It's currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. So go download the Prize Packs app today or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% into deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to the many 12s out there 
who make Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And of course, a welcome to our new listeners as well. Glad to have you on board. And hopefully this won't be your last Locked On Seahawks podcast. Make sure for your second listen to check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. They've got the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. It's available in the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Rob, we've got an abbreviated week here, just like the players and coaches heading into a Thursday night matchup with the San Francisco 49ers, a must-win game at Lumen Field. If they lose, they'll fall to 7-7, seven and seven, and they're going to be way out of the playoff picture with three games left to play. Let's dish out our Monday musings, our last look this week at least. We won't have a Tell the Truth Tuesday this week because of the abbreviated schedule, but one last look at what we saw go down yesterday at Lumen Field. The Seahawks falling to the Panthers 30-24. to It quite frankly didn't feel as close as that final score indicated. Carolina really dominated on both sides of the line of scrimmage from the outset. So I'm going to give you the floor first, Rob. On offense, what's the first thing that really jumps out to you looking at how this game transpired for the Seahawks? Maybe you've got some positives to glean from a game that didn't have too many of them. Yeah, I think that one of the, the positives was just the play of Marquise Goodwin. Uh, I mean, I think that, you know, we, we've talked so much about Geno Smith, about Tyler Lockett, about DK Metcalf, certainly. But we also have kind of bemoaned the fact that Seattle has really struggled to find any type of consistent number three pass catcher, um, whether it be consistently getting the ball into the hands of their tight ends or find a third dynamic wide receiver and just the type of plays that Marquise Goodwin made um, in this game against Carolina to me was just the most exciting things. I would agree with you, Corbett. It did feel like that was much more of a blowout than the one score final. Uh, if you know, the, 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 the result of the game would lead people to believe if they hadn't actually watched. And a big part of that is because there was a couple of spectacular plays, including a late touchdown by Marquise Goodwin. I mean, this is a guy who was known for his straight line speed, known for his leaping ability, but just the, the way that he hovered in the air to catch the one pass deep on the right sideline from a well-thrown Geno Smith ball showed great anticipation and accuracy from Geno Smith. The way that Goodwin showed resiliency, something not a lot of other Seahawks showed on Sunday, unfortunately, but showed resiliency, showed some ability to bounce off of tackles and then be able to weave his way in for that late score. To me, that was definitely a, a highlight of Seattle's, unfortunately, otherwise pretty ugly performance it really was an ugly performance for the most part in the offense they got that garbage touchdown late but they had been held to 17 points up till two minutes left to play in this game so this was really a struggle on both sides of the football and it goes back to the discussion we just had in the second quarter you can point some fingers at Geno Smith in this game. He made some very questionable throws. He wasn't near as efficient and accurate as we've seen. It felt like he was trying to force the issue, and that's kind of been a little bit of a theme in the last four or five games, that we've seen him try to really thread the needle more than what we saw. And You can do that, but it's also one of those things where the more you do that, the more likely you are that you're going to get intercepted, and that's why he had his first multi-interception game. But I think you just look at the way things are going down right now I'm on pro Geno Smith's side still with this. He is dealing with a pretty bad deck of cards being thrown at him right now. Yes, he's got great receivers. Metcalf and Lockett are playing great. Goodwin had a great game yesterday. But he's playing with an offensive line that has not been as consistent as of late. I thought yesterday pass protection was fine for the most part. 
There were a few breakdowns that led to some quick pressures, but otherwise they did a pretty good job. Very rarely heard Brian Burns' name, so that's a credit to the tackles in front of Geno Smith, but not having a run game at all. And the other team doesn't respect their run game, and that really makes life difficult on any quarterback. And so you're seeing it. I think right now we're finally seeing shouldering that burden, being the only offense for the Seahawks, that it is starting to have a cumulative negative effect on Geno Smith. He is making some decisions that he wasn't making earlier in the year. I think if they could just get a little bit of a run game to balance that offense, that we would see his efficiency go back up and some of these turnovers he's making would not be happening. But I don't know if there's a solution that's there the next four weeks of the season. And so Geno Smith's going to try to have, have to try to figure this out. But it really does feel like it's one of those situations where – so much weight has been put on the quarterback's shoulders. He's been so good all year, and it does seem like there's some cracks in the foundation now that are resolving from that. They've got to find a way to take a little bit of pressure off of him, whether it's helping out the offensive line, getting some of that running game going, getting a few guys back healthy, whatever it is. They got to do something to make this a less one-dimensional offense to try to help out their quarterback. Now let's go to the defensive side of the football and. You and I were talking before the show, and everybody's talking about the defensive line as they should be. Being an integral part of the run defense struggles, I thought the linebackers had a pretty tough day yesterday as well. But you pointed out that you think another position group needs to be included in the criticism after re-watching the game yesterday. Yeah, I, I, as you just mentioned, Corbin, I mean, everybody's going to focus on the defensive line, the linebackers, the front seven, just in general. And, and I think the safeties deserve some, um, you know, some of the blame as well. I, I thought that Ryan Neal struggled um, in this game. Now, you, you talked about Geno Smith and, and how he has been, you know, kind of dealing with a, uh, you know, going up against a stack deck, so to speak. Well, Ryan Neal deserves some credit for just gutting out. Um, this victory or gutting out his, you know, playing through that game. I mentioned Abraham Lucas before, and, you know, again, also another player who has kind of gutted out some things uh, here recently, but still that just doesn't matter. You're playing in the NFL. I mean, none of that stuff actually matters when it comes down to it. You have to perform at a high level or you have to have someone who is going to be like, Hey, I, we appreciate your guts but it's not good enough. We got to put the next man up. Um, and, and so I just saw Ryan Neal miss some tackle. I mean, the very first third down play for Carolina, I think it was third and 10. And they wound up getting a, a run off the left side that should have been for three or four yards. Ryan Neal is very aggressive and in coming inside. It allows uh, you know, the back to get outside and, and wound up rumbling for 12, 14 yards. Easy first down. That should just should not happen. Um, and there was a number of plays in which, uh, you know, over the course of the season, I guess I should say, where Quandre Diggs has also missed his share of tackles or come in way too hot. Um, so to me, if you're going to criticize Seattle's defense, um, especially against the run, then I think you got to talk about up the middle, especially, um, and that includes includes the safeties. And then I think you also have to talk about the edge defenders, the lack of any type of, of real run fits, any type of being able to hold up at the point of attack and force running backs inside. Again, the way that Seattle is looking to use their safeties this year, as you mentioned previously, with how Seattle want to try and change their defensive alignment with Jamal Adams. That was one of the things they're asking the safeties to do is to play up a little bit more in the box and force the running backs back inside where the rest of the defense is waiting. I didn't see Seattle do that well enough yet again against Carolina, and that's why they're sitting here with another loss. 
You know, everybody's going to talk about the run game, as they should. When you give up almost 210 rushing yards per game in a four-game stretch, that's abysmal. That's historically bad run defense. But I want to take a little bit of a departure because I do think that there is more to the story, at least in today's game. And the Seahawks keep putting themselves in this position where other teams are able to run the ball 30, 35, 40-plus times and that wears your defense down. That's the type of offense that Pete Carroll wants to have, and the Seahawks can't even get 11 carries from their running backs. But opponents are doing it week in, week out to dominate the time of possession category. The Panthers have the ball 20 minutes more than the Seahawks did yesterday. And a big reason why that happened was not the run game early. It was the easy completions in the short passing game. And I think that that has been just as critical in the defense's regression as these gaudy run defense numbers are seeing where teams are just having their way running the football on the Seahawks. A lot of that is because they are racking up so many carries. It's like anything else in football. The more opportunities you get, the better chance that you're going to be able to hit some home runs and you're going to be able to get some big plays on the ground. How many times yesterday did LaVishka Chanel and some of these other receivers come open on swing patterns or in the flats, and there wasn't anybody near him. I hated the defensive game plan from the Seattle Seahawks in this game. It's almost like they were scared to get beat deep in this game. I'm sorry, but the easiest way to make life easy on a quarterback like Sam Darnold is give him those gimme throws on third and five and on third and two where they're leaving guys wide open, and they did that the first drive. Their first three first downs on third down, two of those were on quick little dump-offs and they were playing way off the ball. It just made no sense to me. And then on a number of those plays, they had defenders in the area to bring down ball carriers for short gains, and they missed tackle after tackle after tackle, giving them yards after the catch, picking up first downs, prolonging drives. That had a major effect on Seattle not being able to stop the run late in the game because the Panthers averaged 3.5 yards per run in the first half, Rob. They were not productive with their running game in terms of yards per carry, but they ran the ball 22 dang times in the first two quarters. That doesn't happen if you limit those short passes that, quite frankly, Seattle seemed surprised by and was just willing to give up. That, that just seemed like a bad game plan to me going against a Panthers offense that, quite frankly, doesn't have a quarterback or the receivers to consistently get the ball downfield. Yeah, I thought that uh, Sam Darnold and the Carolina Panthers, I thought, played a beautiful game. Uh, I thought that they took what Seattle gave them and just kept taking it. Um, you know, I thought Darnold did a great job of throwing the ball when uh, throwing the ball out of bounds when he had pressure, um, you know, and and really taking the, the short dump routes. Um, again, that's that Seattle provided. I thought that was one of the, the issues that the Geno Smith didn't do enough of that. Frankly, I thought that he tried to play a little bit too much of hero ball. But again, when I think that when we focus so much on the quarterbacks and the passing game, then I think that it's easy to kind of lose sight of the fact that Carolina was as successful running the ball as they were with a combination of Deontay Foreman, Chuba Hubbard, uh, and Raheem Blackshear. I mean, this is not exactly an all-pro list of running backs here. And I would argue the same kind of thing is the issue for Seattle. I, I like Seattle's talent at the running back position right now. Uh, you know, I, I really think that, um, you know, in, in Carter and Homer and, um, and, and I would love to have seen some opportunities, uh, you know, for 
Uh, I'm going to butcher his name, so I'm not even going to say it. But the kick returner that made a spectacular big play, um, you know, when he got his Iguibuque, when he got his opportunity there. I mean, to me, Seattle just had to commit to the running game and give themselves a chance. Um, you know, but unfortunately, they, they did not do that. I don't think the question has to do with the running back talent. I think it has more to do with the fact that Seattle just doesn't believe right now in their own ability to move people off the line of scrimmage. And so because they lack that faith, lack that ability, then they are just going to put the ball in Geno Smith's hands and then allow him to try to win his will, his way to a victory. And obviously that has led to all kinds of issues here recently. I'll tell you something that I don't believe in. I don't believe in the Seahawks screen game. And quite frankly, after the last decade plus, I don't think anybody that watches the Seahawks should believe in screen games. And so I'm going to just say this very quick. Chain Waldron, every screen in your playbook, get a gallon of gasoline. Just dump that gasoline on there and light it ablaze. Don't run any more of them. And I'm saying this after yesterday's game just because – I have been watching poor screen execution. It has not mattered who the quarterback has been. It has not mattered who the offensive lineman has been. It has not mattered who the offensive coordinator has been. This team cannot run screens. Occasionally, a blind squirrel finds a nut, and they had a few screens early in the year that were successful. But even when they have successful ones, it usually comes back because of a penalty. That's usually the only reason it works. And so I know screens can be a valuable part of the offense, but – this team cannot run them. They can't. They have proven it time and time again. Do what your bread and butter is. That is not your bread and butter. It squashed a couple of their drives in the second half yesterday when they were trying to get cute running screens, and they got blown up. So just stop. Stop doing it. A couple of weeks ago, they had a game they lost to the Raiders. They had a few drives. They were throwing bubble screens left and right, and guess what? They didn't work. So burn those plays. Light them ablaze. No more screens this year. Or if you're going to run one, you know, maybe if you got a lead and you're just trying to catch them off guard, cool. But they're getting a little bit too anxious to try to run those. And maybe they're getting good looks to do it, but it hasn't mattered. They cannot execute them. So stop the screens. Let's get back to what we do well. And, you know, that's what the good teams in the NFL do. They get their bread and butter going in. The Seahawks are trying to mix in all this stuff. You just can't get it done with the screen game. So we'll leave it at that. You can follow me on Twitter as always at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rand. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. And we're also streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, a little bit different schedule this week. We're actually going to be doing a matchup Tuesday episode. Rematch with 49ers coming up on Thursday. We'll be diving into six key matchups between these bitter NFC West rivals. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.